we're going to dig into each um, of these verses with a little bit more depth, peeling back the onion a little bit. And the purpose of that is to really get a sense for what God wants to teach us in this passage. And we're going to start out with verse 36. And verse 36 says, once again, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So Pharisees, we've talked about who the Pharisees are a little bit over the last several weeks as we've been studying in Luke. And the Pharisees are a very influential religious sect of the time. There's several thousand of them. They're the, the law keepers, the rule makers, the religious elite, the conservative religious people, um, really focused on righteousness. And if you remember over uh, the last several weeks, we've heard where they and Jesus have a little bit of conflict. It started with a little bit of skepticism, which led to a little bit of being adversaries and then confrontation. So the Pharisees and Jesus have this kind of stressed relationship where the Pharisees don't believe Jesus' teachings are in line with the way they understand the law. So the reason we have to ask ourselves, why would the Pharisee have invited Jesus over for dinner? If, if they didn't have... Um, alignment in terms of what they believe, why did he do that? And some people think, well, maybe he did it because this was one of the Pharisees that still was giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt. Or it could be that this Pharisee was trying to actually get information about Jesus that would in turn be used against him. They were building a case against Jesus. We don't really know, but as we get into the story further, we'll find out that the Pharisees' motives were not totally pure in terms of this uh, interaction with Jesus. So the Pharisee was the host, and it was he invited him to his home. And it was customary in those days that um, a visiting preacher, a visiting rabbi who's teaching in the synagogue, which the thought is that he was pro- Jesus was probably doing that, would be invited over to the Pharisee's home for dinner after the celebration of service at the synagogue. So they would come over and it would be a banquet type of a feast. It wouldn't be an in and out kind of thing. It would be come, stay, eat, drink, converse, debate. This is the kind of ceremony or banquet that a Pharisee would typically invite somebody like Jesus to. And a Pharisee's home in these days would be um, fairly well-to-do people. So they would have a courtyard in the middle of their home surrounded by rooms, and in this courtyard is where they would have a banquet like this. There'd be probably a round or, or oblong table in the middle, and they'd low salon, it would be a table maybe this high, and they would have lounges that are butted up against it, and the guests would be face toward the table, feet toward the outside, propped up head on one arm and the other arm free for um, something to drink, something to eat, to, to make a gesture. This was kind of the setting. And around the outside of the, um, the courtyard, people from the town would come in and observe. So rather than you guys go- going home after this and having a Netflix binge, what they would do in those days is they would take a trip to the Pharisee's home and they would actually observe what's going on. And some of the poor people would actually get the scraps from the table. So if you can kind of picture this Table, guests, some townspeople around the outside um, enjoying the conversation but not really part of the invited guest is kind of the the, uh, framework for this dinner that we're about to talk about. Let's move on to verse 37 and verse 38. And behold, so, so this is a showstopper right here. What and behold means is something is shocking. Something is like, bam, and in this case, it tells us what that is. A woman of the city who was a sinner, 
When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, he being Jesus, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So think about the context here. We have a Pharisee who is all about what is right, what about the appearances, a, a, a law lover, a law keeper, and into the home, it says, comes, behold, shocking, doesn't belong there, a woman of the city who is a sinner. And it's thought that this woman is a prostitute. So if you think again about the context, townspeople coming in, but in this case, we have a woman who's a prostitute coming into the home of the Pharisee where Jesus has been invited for dinner. And what it says happens after that is she actually brings with her an alabaster flask of ointment. So what that is, alabaster is a kind of a soft stone that they use to, to carve um, a perfume bottle, basically, with a little globe on the bottom and a large neck on the top, and you'd crack off the neck and you'd use it as kind of a one-time use kind of perfume. So she brings that with her to this dinner with Jesus. And then what it says next is kind of staggering. What happens next is she is standing behind him. So again, think about the table, Jesus's head, his feet, and she's standing behind him weeping. And she's weeping so much that his feet began to get wet with tears. So I've cried in my life, but I don't know that I've ever been so distraught, so emotional, so uplifted that my tears were coming down like rain. This is the scene that we're, that we're talking about. And there's no towel, so what the woman does is she actually takes down her hair and dries his feet with her hair. And in those days, that's another bold, out, outrageous, outlandish thing because a woman's hair is supposed to be up other than for her husband. So this is a woman who's a prostitute, who's in the home of the Pharisee, who's weeping uncontrollably, who takes down her hair in a place that she shouldn't be taking down her care, hair, and she uses it to dry off Jesus' feet. This is the scene so far. And then she began to um, kiss his feet and anointing them with oil. So in, in this day, maybe in today's day as well, the feet are considered kind of the nastiest part of the body. And think about in those days, open-toed sandals, dust, dirt, grime, water, all these kind of things. And that's why it would be customary when you come into a home to have your feet washed. But in this case, she's washing them with her tears, drying them with her hair, and, and she's kissing him. What a, a, sh a show of humility that she's demonstrating to Jesus right now. But, but if you think about the, the boldness, think about the boldness that she's showing in this lavish love for Jesus. She's in a place she shouldn't be. She's in a place where people would not appreciate her for sure. She's weeping uncontrollably. She's taken down her hair. She's anointed his feet with perfume. This is quite a scene. And then we move on from there. In verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. So listen what it says, now when the Pharisee who had invited them said to himself, so this is Jesus' thoughts, 
Jesus isn't telling anybody. Jesus is thinking this. So you already see the judgmental self-righteousness starting to come out in the Pharisee, right? In his own, in his own thoughts. And he's not just judging the woman, he's judging Jesus as well. He's starting to question or beginning to con- continuing to question whether Jesus is who he really said he was. And then we, then we move on. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So Jesus knows his thoughts. So this is the Pharisees of the guy that just finished thinking that this man wouldn't be a prophet because he doesn't know who this woman is. If he did, he wouldn't be allowing her to touch him that way. And Jesus is responding to the Pharisees' thoughts. So question to all of you. If you knew today that Jesus was monitoring all of your thoughts and was actually taking action, here Jesus responds to the Pharisees' thoughts with a question, what would you think, what would your thought life be if you realized that Jesus has a capacity and actually shows that he's involved with our thought life? What would that be like if you thought about that more? Would your thought life change? I think it would. Let's see what happens here. Verse 41 through 43. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And a denarii is a silver coin. Uh, one denarii is like a day's wages. So we're talking about here about 500 days wage debt and a 50 days wage wet. So like two years worth of pay and a couple months worth of pay are at risk right here. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. So just to context, because in a parable you know that he's going to use it somewhere um, later on. Basically the important things to know about one large debt, one smaller debt, both were unable to pay, both debts were wiped out. And the, the question must be going on in Simon's mind is, this is kind of seems out of context. I'm not sure why this question was important and what we're going to do with this, and we'll see as we move on. Then we go to verse 44 through 46. So the context so far, Jesus invited to a dinner at the Pharisee's home. He's there. This woman shows up that shouldn't be there. She's a prostitute. She's lavishing all this love upon him. The Pharisee's thinking that this isn't right. If he was who he said he would, he wouldn't be allowing this. Jesus says, hey, can I respond to you? Gives him the parable, and now here we are in verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. So turns to the woman, who in this case, if Jesus had said we're here, his feet were there, the woman would be behind, so Jesus would be looking up. Do you see this woman? And Jesus knows that Simon saw the woman because Simon's thoughts were this woman shouldn't be here earlier, right? I entered your house, this is Jesus talking, You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So it would be customary in those days, almost in every case, when you're a guest in somebody's home, that they would have a servant or potentially a slave wash your feet as you enter. Take off your sandals and they would wash your feet. That would be a customary greeting, like in today's world it might be a handshake, can I take your coat, a fist bump, a hug, depending on where you are. But that would be a customary thing that everybody would do. It would just be common courtesy that they, that they would do that. And that wasn't done in this case. So 
Think about it. Simon the Pharisee, who is a religious leader, invites Jesus in, who probably was the guest teacher at the synagogue, and didn't extend to him the common courtesy of washing his feet. But think about the contrast with this woman. He didn't even offer a foot washing, but with her tears just raining down, she washes his feet and dries them with her hair. Think about the extravagance of that, the outrageousness of that in that place. And then we move on. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. So again, it would be customary in Jesus' day when you arrive to have a pat on the shoulder and a kiss on the cheek. That would just be a normal thing. And in this case, he didn't even get that from the Pharisee when Jesus arrived. But what happened? The woman is kissing Jesus' feet. And we just talked before about the feet are kind of the, the most humbling place in a person's body in those times. And she's kissing them without ceasing. Amazing. Lastly, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. So it would be customary in those days, even if it wasn't in an opulent place, to have like olive oil and anoint somebody's head to refresh them. And here, he, he, Jesus did not get that courtesy from the Pharisee, but the woman broke open this expensive bottle of perfume and again anointed his feet in humility and care. So the contrast is what I want you to start thinking about, and we're going to start looking at that even for our own lives, but think about the contrast between how the Pharisee is treating Jesus, where his heart is with Jesus, and where this woman's heart is with Jesus. No foot washing, common courtesy. The woman, again, tears and hair. Again, in, in that time, I think I mentioned this, but if I didn't, a woman's hair would be bound and it would not be let down other than for her husband. In some of the commentaries, it says that letting your hair down in public like that would be equivalent in our day of basically lifting up your shirt and, and exposing yourself. It would be that much of a, um, I don't even know what the right word would be. <laughs> you wouldn't do that. So, Basically, the Pharisee is ignoring Jesus. And, and one of the, the things that was an interesting thing for me to think about, I'll ask you to think about it too, is what the Pharisee basically has done has in, been inviting Jesus into his own home and is basically ignoring him or worse. And a, a question that I have for the group here is, as Christians, those of you who are Christians, have you invited potentially Jesus into your home, into your life, and then disregarded him. Think about the woman's extravagant care for Jesus, and think about the Pharisee's cold-hearted um, reaction to Jesus. Do we have any of that in us? Again, I want you to think about the contrast about the woman and the Pharisee. Let's move on. Verse 47, therefore I tell you her sins, which are many, so she's known, she's labeled as a sinner, right, as a prostitute. That's basically the marker that she has on herself. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for, and we can use the word hence there, she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. So again, Jesus is actually comparing the woman and the Pharisee. With the woman, he says her sins are forgiven, even though they were immense. Again, can you think about the, the weight that would be if, um, 
if everywhere you went, you were labeled a woman of the city, a sinner. This is the sinful woman. So that's the label she, called, she took around with her, how, how weighty and difficult that would be. But for, him, for the Pharisee, Jesus is starting to kind of lay this foundation of the Pharisee doesn't appear to need me much. She needed me much, she's forgiven much, and therefore she loves much. But he, in this case, the Pharisee, loved little because he was forgiven little. So starting to lay the foundation that the Pharisee is self-sufficient, self-reliant. He doesn't really need Jesus. Let's move on to verse 48 through 50. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table, so there was other guests at the table other than Jesus, began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So he wanted to make it clear, a couple things really clear. One is this woman's sins were forgiven. We think that she knew that already. She probably had had a previous encounter with Jesus because her um, extravagant care for Jesus was thought to be a result of her forgiveness, not in an intention to get forgiveness. So the forgiveness preceded the love that she showed for him. So um, she's already seen him. So she's not saying your sins are forgiven for her benefit. He's saying it for others' benefit. And then he wants to make sure that it's the faith in Jesus that is um, where the salvation comes from and not the way she's treating him. So so that's the the basics of the story. Just to, to recap quickly, we have two people interacting with Jesus. One is a sinful woman, somebody who's labeled for her sin, somebody who's a prostitute, but who is lavishing love on Jesus because of what he has done for her. And then you have a Pharisee who's thought, who is known for being a religious person, a person who should know the right thing, who's basically dishonoring and discrediting Jesus in his own home. So let's move on and talk about a little bit about how this can apply to us. So what lessons are we to take from this dinner party at the Pharisee's house where Jesus, this woman, and the Pharisee and Jesus are all taking place? Again, I want to go back to the contrast that we should be drawing between the woman and the Pharisee because it's, it's dramatic. She is known for her sinfulness. I've said that before. She's recognized by that. She's known by that. She carries that with her. And my question to you is, can any of you relate to that in any way? Does anybody in this room have things in your past that seem to continue on with you and you're labeled by those things? Or even today, do you have things that you're struggling with today that you tend to be labeled by? If you look at this woman, you should have hope. This woman whose sins were many, a multitude of sins, was given the grace of God and forgiveness from God. So that's available to all of us. Amen. Amen. Who said that? Amen again. Yeah. (laughs) And then we have um, this law-keeping guy, right, who is known for his religiosity, his doing the right things. Maybe what's on the cover, but what's not behind that. He's the clean outside of the cup, but maybe not the clean inside of the cup. That's what he's known for. And my question to you is, can any of you relate to him? Are any of you um, 
ever in a situation where your desire to perform, your desire to have outward appearances look good, moving into an area of being judgmental and self-righteous like this Pharisee is. And again, that's the contrast that we should be looking at this morning. And I think that what, that's what the contrast that Luke is trying to, to draw, is this woman who is known for her sinfulness but is filleted wide open with Jesus in terms of uh, basically um, opening her entire life up to him, but this closed Pharisee who seems to be very judgmental, self-righteous, and basically in, not in need of what Jesus has to offer. And the contrast in their heart condition is what motivates their actions. So if you think about the, the heart condition that he, both of them have, what that is motivating is what they do. So think about the woman. The woman's heart is broken for what she's done, but in need of Jesus' forgiveness. What does she do? She's um, weeping. Not out of sadness, but out of joy for what he's done for her. She's washing his feet with her hair, anointing his feet with um, expensive perfume, kissing his feet. The, again, the radical extravagance of her love for, her, for him is the outpouring of the condition of her heart, the softness of her heart. But what about this guy? Not even extending the most common courtesies to a, a guest in his home. And what, does that, what is that driven by? It's been driven by this self-righteous, I don't need Jesus, I'm good on my own attitude. So the challenge for all of us this morning is, as you live your life day to day here in Santa Barbara, where are you on that spectrum? Who, can, can you relate to either of them or both of them? Can you relate to the woman who is so broken that she's at Jesus' feet weeping, who is forgiven and is saved by him? Or can you relate to the guy who is so self-sufficient, so cold-hearted, so self-righteous, so judgmental that he doesn't have any need for Jesus at all? Can you relate to either of those two? I think that's what is being teed up for us this morning to think about and to deal with. Think about the opportunity that both the woman and the Pharisee had to interact with Jesus. The woman took advantage of this opportunity she had to be with Jesus, right? The guy had Jesus in his very own home and didn't take advantage of it. He dishonored him. So the question for us who have relationships with Jesus, are we inviting Jesus into our lives and then just putting him on the side and dishonoring him? Or are we like the woman where we're opening ourselves wide open to his love and his grace? That's what we need to think about this morning. Do you see yourself more like the sold out woman or more like the closed off Pharisee is the question I have for you this morning. And I think that's really what we're challenged by this morning is the hope that we have in looking at the, women, the woman and what happened with her and the challenge when we look at the Pharisee and what happened with him. There's a quote that Tim Keller uses that in the uh, meaning of marriage that I think is a really relevant quote that I'd like to share with you, and it'll probably be on the screen behind me, is the gospel is this, so the good news is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says it in a slightly different way. And this basically is talking about confession of our sins, closing the gap that separates us from God. Sin separates us from God and confession closes that gap. And what it says in 1 John is, if we say we have no sin, 
So this is kind of the Pharisee talking, right? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, this is the woman, and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's what's being teed up for this morning as we come in here, is how much are we dealing with the sin? Are we more like the Pharisee, where we're, we're good and we're going to be disinterested and disconnected from Jesus? Or are we like the woman, where we understand how sinful we are and we open ourselves up to the healing of Jesus? I had the opportunity to have a sermon illustration gifted over to me this week, um, I think by God. But uh, I went to the dermatologist. My family um, has skin cancer running through it. So I go to the... Um, I need to go to the dermatologist regularly. And I went the last time about two years ago, something like that. And um, I knew that I needed to go again, but I've been putting it off. I've been delaying. And I think this trip to the dermatologist is a picture of what we really need to be considering when we think about dealing with our sin. And I'm going to share with you kind of how my trip to the dermatologist went. I don't know if you can see it from there, but I've got a few spots and things like that that I'm dealing with. But I hadn't gone for a couple years. I, needed, I knew I needed to go, should go, but didn't go. Walked by the mirror quickly and didn't see anything, you know, too horrible. So I just put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. I think that's the way we are a lot of times with our sin. Things going on that just keep kind of putzing along and we don't ever deal with it. Finally, I was motivated by somebody important to me to get to the dermatologist and I went and um, the first thing they did is threw me into one of those um, examining rooms, and the assistant threw a gown in there and said, um, you can use this if you want, but he's going to want you fully exposed. Somebody in the front row went like this. So. <laughs> I did the same thing. I go, what? You know, uh, okay, you know, which is, you can wear your underwear or you can put on this thing, but he's going to want to see everything. I think that relates, again, to what kind of the woman. The woman was wide open fillet. I mean, there was no secrets for her, right? Everybody knew who she was, what she did. There was no secrets at all. That's what God wants from us. That's what my dermatologist wanted from me. Um, <laughs> he, he, the first thing he did when he walks in is says, boy, you have a lot of skin. <laughs> and I, I wasn't sure how to take that. Um, so I said, well, thank you. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure he meant something good by it, but he said, I, I have a lot of skin. And then he said, boy, it's been a long time since you've been here. And I think that's what God is saying to some of us, too, in terms of the confession of our sin. Boy, I haven't heard from you lately on what's happening in your heart, what's happening in your life. The next thing he did, if any of you have been to a dermatologist, I assume my dermatologist isn't different than many, but he's got this, whole, he looks like a cowboy from the Wild West. So he has a holster and he has a, a, a what do you call it, a, a injector, what do you call that, a, a syringe. He has something that looks like, uh, we used to have a, a wood-burning tool or a soldering iron or something. He has um, what looks like a um, box cutter or something. I mean, he's just got all this stuff here. And then he's got um, goggles that... Um, if any of you, maybe your mom has this in her bathroom or maybe in a fancy hotel that you've been to one time, they have these mirrors when you go into the bathroom where you kind of flip it over and it magnifies things like 10 times. Do you have it in there? Or mom's bathroom has one of those? And, and that's what he has. He puts these goggles down. And it's, it's the kind of thing where when you put it down, it's like, does my nose really look like that? You know, do I, are my pores that big? You know, is there really a hair there? But that's what, that's what he uses to expose 
everything about what I need help with, with my skin, right? And again, that's what the Holy Spirit has been giving to us to do in our lives, to expose everything about, if you think about it in John, it talks about, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, hey, I'm leaving, and that's a bummer. Um, if you think about the Pharisee and this woman, they had direct access to Jesus in that, um, around that table, and that's amazing. But when Jesus left, what he told us, he said, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm sending you something even better, the Holy Spirit. And, and why is that? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, and the Holy Spirit reveals all truth. So just like the, this doctor's goggles, I think, man, there was no truth that was not seen through those things on my body. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. And again, a lot of us can be, in, I was in a, a I was going to say fat, dumb, and happy. That's not a good word. Um, I was oblivious to what was going on with my skin. I had just been, become dulled to it. I wasn't dealing with it. And I think that's what a lot of us have happening in our lives related to our sin. Totally disregarding it. If you think again about contrasting the Pharisee and the woman, the woman was all about wide open, full vulnerability. The, the Pharisee was not. And again, I'm challenging us today to think about the contrast. Where are you in terms of your openness with God about what's happening in your life and your, and your sin? Sin's a hard word, but it's really just missing the mark. Am I missing the mark in terms of what God's best is for me? The question for you, is that happening? So I'm, so I'm still with the dermatologist. It's kind of a long story. And he's looking at things and he's saying, wow, this one, um, how long have you had that one? I go, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. And he says, I'm glad you're truthful. But he says, this one here, if you leave it um, unattended to, if I don't treat this thing, it's going to go deeper and wider and it's going to cause big problems. Just like with our sin, if we leave it unattended, what's going to happen is it's going to fester, it's going to go deeper, it's going to go wider. And I think you all have examples probably in your own life of how something left unattended then starts to have more and more and more consequences in your life. It could be health consequences, it could be relational consequences, it could be financial consequences, but when we don't deal with those things where we're missing the mark, where we're sinning, real time, it creates a lot of consequences, and that's what the doctor was telling me um, with my skin. And then another one, he said, this one looks kind of bad, but it's, it's not really, um, it's not a big deal. He says, this is, you know, I can take it off, but it would just be cosmetic if you wanted that to happen. I go, okay. Then he starts to ask me about protection. He says, do you sun, you know, in the middle of everything, do you sunblock? You know, I think I use sunblock. The same thing happens with our sin. Are you doing things to protect you from the temptations and the sin in your life? You wear a hat, you know, again, he's peppering with these, these things as he's slicing. I mean, he, he's burning things. He's slicing things off. He's injecting me with things. So he's, he's working. He's acting. I've given him access to my body. And God does the same thing in our life. So when you close off God from your life, he's not able to work. But when you open, the woman, the woman was, had a lifetime of sin and hardship. By opening herself up to, to Jesus, that was all eradicated. Her life changed at that point. She was able to come into that room with boldness and, and love that I'm sure she wouldn't have had before Jesus forgave her. And again, my challenge to everybody here this morning is, what about your heart? You know, this morning is a chance for you to go to the dermatologist. And I don't want you to leave here without fully exposing yourself in a really good way. <laughs> because that's what God wants. Again, you look back to that story, 
God is bolstering up and encouraging what this woman did, and he's, he's giving it to the Pharisee in his own home, chastising him for his lack of connection, his lack of interest in who Jesus even was, lack of acknowledging who Jesus even was. So we have big hope in what happened with women, but I, I think with the Pharisee, we have a big challenge. And, and I'm going to focus on that as well this morning. So my challenge to you as we get ready for worship this morning, it's an opportunity for you to not miss an opportunity. And again, the Holy Spirit is here to reveal things to you that you might not even know about or bring up things that you do know about but are suppressing. And he wants to deal with those things this morning. So as we, as we go into worship, we have these carpets up front here for you to just get with God alone We'll have people up here on the sides to pray with you about anything. We have communion if you're a believer and follow Jesus to come up here and remember what he did for us when he broke his body and lost his blood for us for the forgiveness of sins and salvation. This visceral way to remember that. Um, I would encourage you to spend time doing what the woman did. Pursue Jesus and ask him what areas in your life does he want to treat. And I think today is a rare opportunity for you to do that. And again, if we think about the real important part of this story, the important part of this story is the hope that we have in Jesus as demonstrated by this sinful woman. But it's also the challenge we have to not allow ourselves to become self-sufficient, judgmental, self-reliant, don't need God. And I think there's some of that in me, and I would challenge you to think about, is there some of that in you? And when we're that way, what we do is we don't open ourselves up to God. We're okay. We get it ourselves most of the time. And again, what my dermatologist would tell you is you need to come in more often. You need to spend time with Jesus more often. You need to expose yourself, have somebody... The, the Holy Spirit look at things and reveal things to you, and that's what we have the opportunity to do this morning. So again, I hope that this story um, in Luke encourages you to understand um, how loving Jesus is by virtue of what he does with this woman and what opportunity you have to engage with him today. I'm gonna...